Well, how many of you can remember growing up having to take family pictures? And how many of you just loved family pictures? How many of you hated family pictures? Many of you hated family pictures. Many a family feud has begun in the family photo session. Well, if you grew up in church like I grew up in church, maybe, maybe uh, you didn't just have to take family pictures every now and then, but maybe you also had to take a church directory picture. Anybody grow up have to take a church, re- pe- uh, church directory picture? A few of you out there. Well, I, I brought some awkward family photos from church directories I want to share with you this morning. It's awesome. So here's the first one up on the screen. And I've got a caption for each picture to share with you from someone that was in the picture. Justin says this, this picture was taken for a church directory in 1990. First of all, Who puts every member of their family in a church directory picture? Secondly, every hairstyle known to man in the 80s was captured in this picture. I love it. Next picture, Anna. Uh, Anna says this. I'm pretty sure she's the older sister. This is an attempt at a lovely family picture for our church's registry. I may or may not have pinched my sister mid-photo shoot. Love it. Uh, Next one is kind of weird, really weird. Holly, the mom, simply said the church wouldn't publish this. I can't imagine why. The church wouldn't publish that. This next one, Elizabeth, this one's strange as well. Elizabeth says this, uh, while I was away at college, my family had to take a portrait for a church directory. So they brought a framed photo of me. It was the photographer's great idea to put a picture of me on a pedestal. This next one is my favorite. Becky says this, dad was sure the church photo would only be taken from the waist Uh, This next one's good as well. Adkins says this. uh, This was taken after church one Saturday. My parents look like they don't want to be there. My uncle looks like he's surprised to be there, which might explain why he's holding a folder. And my brother and I, well, we're just there. And then this last one, this is of my family. Um, I was in junior high. There it is. I was in junior high. There's little Andy down there in junior high. I got the buzz cut going on. I have no idea whose phone number that is now. It's not anyone in my family. So if you want some entertainment later today, call that number, try to order a pizza, something like that. That'd be awesome. Well, on that note, Welcome to Element Church. My name is Andy Hazlett. I'm one of the associate pastors here and uh, just honored that you're here today. I'm honored to share the message with you today as well. Happy Father's Day to you dads that are here today. I hope you have an awesome day. Well, why would I share those church directory pictures? Well, the church is filled with people from all walks of life. And that's one of the things that makes the church amazing and comical at the same time. The church is far from perfect. We all know that. Yet God has designed this imperfect church family people to fit together, to fit and flourish. Actually, the church is, I believe, one of God's greatest gifts to us. We're at the beginning of a new series called Glory. And the theme verse of this series in which all the messages will be built upon is Romans 11, verse 36, which says, This, for everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory, all glory to him forever, amen. The last five chapters of Romans really articulate how we as God's people are to bring God glory. And today specifically, we're gonna see how God's glory changes us within the church. Romans is actually a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome. 
Paul was the greatest missionary of the first century church. Paul is the man that persecuted the the Christian church before he had an encounter with Jesus. He then, he turned to faith in Jesus and his life was transformed by God. Paul writes this letter from Corinth in preparation for a physical visit sometime in the future. And the letter is a a little bit different than some of the other letters that Paul wrote because he doesn't yet have as close of a relationship with the believers in Rome yet, so he doesn't do as much specific correcting of behavior as he does in some of the other letters that he writes. Rather, Paul spends most of his time explaining what the gospel is, what it means, and the great extent to which the gospel transforms the life of the individual and the church. The first few weeks of the series, uh, Glory, we're going to be in Romans chapter 12. And here's sort of a, a simple outline of Romans chapter 12. Verses 1 and 2, we see our relationship with God. Verses 3 through 8, we see our relationship to the gifts of God's Spirit. Verses 9 through 13, we see our relationship with other believers. And in 14 through 21, uh, we'll see our relationship with unbelievers. Last week, Pastor Jeff preached on verses one and two. If you missed it, uh, you can go onto the church website and check it out. Today, we're going to focus on those two middle sections, and next week, we'll be in 14 through 21. So if you want to read verses uh, 14 through 21 for preparation uh, for next week, that would be awesome. The main scripture for today is Romans 12, verses three through 13. Last week, we saw what it means to be transformed by Christ. And Paul described this in verses one and two as being a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And now Paul is going to show us how Christians who have been transformed by Jesus are to function in the church. So the big question that we're going to answer in the message today is this, what's so good about belonging to the church? Now, I understand that, that many of you uh, may have had negative experiences in the church. In fact, maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian and, and you may have very valid reason to distrust the church. And first off, I, I would just want to let you know, I'm so grateful that you're in church today. I'm grateful that you're giving church another chance today. Just by attending, you're giving it another chance. So I'm thankful for that. And even though the message today is geared more for people that do believe in Jesus, I hope that you'll see today how the church can function. I hope that you'll see the blessing that the church is intended to be for all people, especially those that belong to Jesus and belong to the church. If you have your Bible, turn to Romans 12, verse 3. If you don't own a Bible, uh, stop by guest services sometime today. We'd love to give you one for free. Romans 12, verse 3 says this. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think of yourselves better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. Measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Paul does not hesitate to come out swinging here. What's so good about belonging to the church? Number one is this, belonging produces humility. Belonging produces 
humility. It's no surprise that humility comes directly after Paul's challenge to offer ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Because when I belong to Christ, he transforms me into his image. And part of that transformation is a spirit of humility. We often confuse humility, though. Really, humility requires me to think accurately about myself. No more or no less than I ought to. It means I think of myself in the shadow of what the scriptures say about me. Let's look back at the second part of that verse again. Paul, Paul says, be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. The only true measurement of ourselves is when we compare our character against the scriptures. Unfortunately, we typically measure ourselves against other people, which usually leads to either pride or condemnation and shame, neither of which is biblical humility. Until you and I have an honest measurement of ourselves against the scriptures, we cannot grow the way that God wants us to grow. We just can't. How many of you have ever uh, looked up different homes on realtor.com or another uh, real estate website kind of like that? I've looked up homes like that before. Well, those real estate websites have a way of making properties look and sound much better than they sometimes are. And if you've had an experience like that, you, you know what I'm talking about. Like, they tell part of the story, but they usually don't tell all of the story, right? Like, they don't show you the picture of the mold that's growing behind the walls and the bathrooms. They don't show pictures of the deteriorating foundation or the meth lab of a house next door or the barking dog that is in the yard next door to that home that you think is just the greatest home in the world. They tell part of the story, but they don't tell the full story, at least not all the time. Well, I'll never forget um, uh, the first home that my wife and I, Aubrey, that we bought here in Cheyenne. It was about 10 years ago. And we looked at like 15 or 20 different houses and looked at all kinds of different houses, different neighborhoods. But there's one in particular that I will never forget looking at. The pictures on the internet looked great. And even when we pulled up to the front of the house, it looked pretty good. I mean, the house looked pretty good, but then we got inside the house and it was just awful. I mean, just destroyed. I mean, the, maybe the people that were selling it didn't realize they were selling it. I don't know, but it was so gross, so much clutter. There was a, a stink in it that was just pungent. It was disgusting. So it, it turned into a pretty quick visit of this house because we knew we probably weren't interested. Uh, but the really interesting part came when we started to go down into the basement. We made our way into the basement, and in the basement, there was a camping tent set up in the basement, which is weird by itself, but in addition to that, there was a guy, random guy, sitting in the tent, legs crossed, shirt off, looking down at something, just kind of rocking back and forth. And we left as quick as we possibly could. It was the creepiest experience of my life. Needless to say, we did not buy that house. The point is, the pictures and the description of a home on realtor.com 
they're not always an accurate description of the property. Like you got to show up and really experience it and smell it to know what you're getting yourself into, right? And, and when we think about humility in our spiritual lives, we, we need an honest interpretation of where we're at. We need an honest look. I heard a pastor once say, I thought this was very helpful. helpful. I heard this pastor say, I don't spend leisure time with, pink, with people that think less of me or more of me than they should. Isn't that good? Man, I thought that was good. Here's a couple thoughts on humility. A couple questions for us to, to kind of think about. Do you belong to Christ? Do you belong to Christ? Because until you experience saving faith in Jesus, you'll never have a spirit of humility. You, at least not a biblical spirit of humility. You, you just won't. We need a transformation from Jesus. Do you have honest inputs in your spiritual life? We need valuable, consistent daily time in the scripture and in prayer because when I study the Bible, God's word for us, I'm reminded of God's love for me. I'm reminded of my value in his eyes and I'm reminded of where I need to grow. We need time in the scriptures. Do you have helpful voices in your spiritual life? We need people in our lives that will be honest with us. People that aren't impressed with our titles or positions or wealth or status or anything else. People that see us for who we really are People that will encourage us and challenge us to grow in our faith. What's so good about belonging to the church? Well, the first thing is belonging produces humility. Number two is this belonging makes me human. Literally, Paul uses the image of the human body to show how we are all necessary parts of the body, the church. Verses four through eight, Paul picks up and says this. Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have the gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. See, God gives spiritual gifts and abilities to us when we trust in him for salvation. And the gifts and abilities that God gives us are to have a function in the church to build God's kingdom and to be a blessing to others. This section on spiritual gifts, it shouldn't be separated from Paul's challenge to us about humility. The church is the environment, actually, in which humility can be learned and experienced. In the church, we learn what our spiritual gifts are and what they are not. In the church, our gifts can benefit others. Actually, we were created to be dependent upon one another. 
In the church, we learn our gifts are given to us by God. They are not earned by our efforts. And God will ultimately receive the glory when we exercise our gifts in the church because he is the one that gave us the abilities and the talents and the gifts in the first place. It doesn't take very long when we just sit back in the church and we observe the different spiritual gifts of the different people in church. Take our church for example. I know a man in our church that has the gift, I believe, of encouragement. And so he attends small groups with other men, many of them that are new in their faith, and he encourages them. He goes to coffee with them afterwards. He encourages them in their faith, spends extra time with them. I know a woman in our church that is insanely creative, and she uses her creativity to lead other volunteers, and she makes things better in our church. I know a guy that likes to work with his hands. And so he regularly comes into the church during the week and he, he uh, fixes things and he spends time uh, cleaning the church throughout the week. I know business owners who use their business resources and connections to benefit the body. I know social butterflies that just make everybody feel welcome in the church and, and invite new people to church nearly every week. I know of a thoughtful mom of young children in our church who reaches out to other moms throughout the week and blesses and encourages them. I know teenagers that are really good with technology and so they serve on our production team. I know other teenagers that have not yet lost their imagination and they serve in our e-kids ministry, do a phenomenal job. I know people that are addicted to generosity and so they live on less so they can give more. They, they even give out of their business profits. They tithe over and above 10% and they give extra to the church and to other Christian ministries. There's so many people as we look at the church that use their gifts that God has given them to bless the church, to bless others in the church and to build the body of Christ. So simple question for us today to really think and pray about today. What are your abilities and where are your opportunities? What are your abilities and where are your opportunities? I didn't say what you'd wish they'd be, but what are they? What are your abilities and where are your opportunities? Here, here's a few next step ideas for you when we're talking about spiritual gifts. The first is take a spiritual gifts test. The, there's a website on the screen for you. You can go to that website. It'll take you 15 or 20 minutes. If you've never done it or if it's been a long time, I would encourage you to try that. Uh, it may be very helpful to you. The next one is test the gift. Does it produce fruit? In other words, when you exercise that gift or ability in the church, the way that God has intended it to be, does it produce good things? Because if it's a gift God has given you, it will produce good fruit. What do others say? Not like people that will uh, just tell you whatever you want to hear, but people that will be honest with you, people that are godly and wise and will give you godly counsel. What do they say? Do they also acknowledge that gift in you? And, and you may be surprised by the gift that you have and, and the gift that you don't have. Uh, and this last one is look for an opportunity. Don't blame others for your inaction. 
Like we're responsible, each of us, to use our gifts and talents, abilities and resources for the glory of God inside and outside the church. We're held responsible for that. And so don't, don't blame others, just look for an opportunity. And when God gives you the opportunity, be faithful to walk in it. What's so good about belonging to the church? Well, belonging produces humility. Belonging makes me human. And last one is this, belonging replaces hypocrisy with authenticity. Belonging replaces hypocrisy with authenticity. Verses nine through 13, Paul says this. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. And take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard to serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. In a lot of ways, this section is a continuation of the previous verses regarding spiritual gifts. The spiritual gifts by themselves, they can feel a little wooden, a little stale, as if Paul is telling us to just know our place, do our jobs, and go home. But there's, there's so much more to it than that. The description of gifts without the right heart and without the right motivation will leave us feeling empty. But Paul articulates here the right spirit, the right motivation and heart and love that believers are to exhibit among other believers within the church. Let's review that list again. Let's think about this again. Paul says, love each other genuinely. That's a big statement. Not because you have to, but because you really love one another. Hate what is wrong. Run away from what is wrong. Cleave to what is good. Literally, be connected like glue to what is good. Honor others. Give others praise rather than seeking it for ourselves. Never be lazy. Work hard to serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, even in the midst of trouble. Be a person of prayer throughout the day. Be ready to help others. Pursue hospitality. It says be eager to show hospitality. Look for ways to serve other people. This, this list from Paul it reminds me of another list that Paul gives in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 13. Many of you will recognize this passage. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Love is the difference. Love is the difference. It's not just about operating appropriately in our spiritual gifts. It's about those spiritual gifts being inspired by the love of God. Love makes all the difference. 
Now, I know this is kind of a silly illustration, but it's the first thing I thought of, uh, so I want to share it with you. Like, there is a huge difference between the love I have for my wife and the love I have for chips and salsa. Very different. Now, that being said, my wife makes really good salsa. And so there's hope in the Lord that these two things can go hand in hand. And when they do, glory be to God, it is a great thing. Hallelujah. Date night, chips and salsa at home. It's, it's awesome. It's adult life and it's a beautiful thing. But when I say, when I, when I describe my wife to other people and I say, I love my, my wife, or when I tell my wife, I love you, babe, or, or whatever, like there is so ma- there's so much wrapped up in that word when I'm speaking of my wife, right? There should be. I mean, there's 13, for us, there's 13 years of marital history. There's affection that we have for one another. There's history we have with each other, memories, and there's so much involved, commitment and sacrifice and and all this time together. So when I say I love my wife, it's backed up by history and affection and commitment and sacrifice and and the covenant that God has blessed and, and all those things, right? On the other hand, when I say, and I probably shouldn't even use the word, but when I, when I say I love chips and salsa, it's much different, right? Like I probably shouldn't even use the same word. Hopefully I don't ever use the same word in the same sentence. When I say I love chips and salsa, what I really mean is I enjoy chips and salsa. Now maybe you're sitting there thinking, I don't know. I think I love chips and salsa. It's really good. I don't love chips and salsa. I like chips and salsa, but I'm not ready to sacrifice anything for chips and salsa. Not really. I'm not ready to commit my life to chips and salsa in any way, shape, or form. I just enjoy chips and salsa. But gosh, with my wife, with my wife, I wouldn't he- with my kids, like I wouldn't hesitate to sacrifice for my wife or my kids because that love is genuine. It's real. There's a depth in a power there that's so much different. Love is the difference. And when we're, ta- when, we're, when we're talking about operating in our spiritual gifts, Paul brings so much more depth to it than just exercise your spiritual gift. He brings this element of love to it, this heart and motivation that the Spirit of God can give to us. And I'm telling you what, it makes all the difference when the love of God has filled my spirit to operate that gift. God will give his people the abilities and talents and gifts, but he will also give the right heart, the right motivation, and the right love in which to operate that gift. And when that happens... When that happens, the church becomes an unstoppable blessing to everybody involved. Really does. Last summer, I went on, uh, my family and I went on sabbatical for the whole summer. The church uh, blessed us with going on a sabbatical to uh, refresh and recharge for the next season of ministry. And it was a, it was a huge blessing And I knew that we were going to miss our church, but I didn't realize quite how much we were going to miss our church. Now, don't get me wrong. We we had a great time the entire time, but we really missed our church. And we went to other churches. We visited other churches here in Cheyenne. We visited other churches across the country in different places and great churches, fantastic churches with great worship and great preaching and incredibly friendly people, you know, great churches. 
But there's something, there's something missing when you go to another church that, that isn't your home church that you, that you really don't have fellowship with. And even though there might be great preaching and great worship, but gosh, without, side the, without the fellowship of your church family, it felt very empty to us in, in a lot of cases. It was good. It was great. We enjoyed worshiping and, and everything, meeting different people. But man, without the fellowship of our church, it, it felt very empty. And I think the biggest takeaway for me from that whole experience was a, a, a profound sense of sorrow for those that are, are maybe casually dating the church but are not really experiencing the benefits of commitment to God's church. My, my heart hurts for you simply because I know what you're missing out on. That was the first time in my life that I had really been disconnected from my church for any significant amount of time. And also, like, we couldn't wait to get back. Because this is our church, and we have fellowship here. And, and I've been praying, and I have been hoping so badly that if you're not experiencing that, that you would. Because I believe it's, it's one of the greatest blessings that God has for us to experience through his church. Maybe you're thinking, man, it all sounds great. But where do I start? Where do I start? So as we wrap up here today, let me give you just a few, a few uh, next step thoughts here. The first is become a new creation. Listen, if you don't know Jesus as your savior, Telling you to just start using your spiritual gifts and to genuinely love others, it won't do you any good until you've been transformed by Christ. It's like me telling you to drink a cup of water, but you don't have a mouth to drink it. Until you experience the transforming work of Jesus in your life, you won't be able to operate in your spiritual gift, or to genuinely love others the way Christ would have you. And so if that's you today, if you need that, um, I would encourage you to stop by uh, our prayer tent today in the back of the auditorium, and they would love to pray with you to receive Christ today. Make church a priority. Make church a priority. Some, some are casually dating the church, but until you commit yourself to the church and make it a priority in your life, you won't experience the blessing that it can be in your life. Serve in the church. Don't wait. Serve in the church. I, I believe you're missing out on a blessing of God by not serving in the church and discovering where you can most benefit the body of Christ. Participate in a group. Now, most of our groups are taking a break for the summer season, but in August, when we are uh, launching small groups again, join a group, and I, I think that you'll uh, enjoy it. Invite someone to lunch after church. I know that may seem silly, but in our culture, we, we're so private these days, we need to invite people into our lives. Invite someone to lunch. Invite someone into your home this next week for dinner. That'd be awesome. Uh, and pray this week for an opportunity to bless others in the church. 
And when God gives you that opportunity, be faithful to walk in it. What's so good about belonging to the church? Well, belonging, belonging produces humility. Belonging makes me human and belonging replaces hypocrisy with authenticity. Would you bow your heads and close in prayer with me today? Lord, thank you so much for giving us this great gift, the church. Lord, help us to experience the blessing of it. Help us to know our gifts and strengths and to use those gifts to bless others. Thank you, Lord, for your promise to transform us into a new creation. Lord, I pray that we would be able to love one another with genuine affection. And I pray that the world would know you because of our love for each other. In Jesus' name, amen. And well, thanks again for being here today. Just a reminder, if you're new, uh, we'd love to meet you quickly over in the living room. It's right through these doors, right across the lobby. And if you'd like someone to pray with you, we have a prayer team at the purple tent right behind the sound booth. They'd love the opportunity to pray with you as we close. Hope you have a great uh, week. You are dismissed.